Is there a shortage of workers for farming in Washington? Any credible source says absolutely yes, there not only is a shortage, but it's a shortage that's worsening every year and is, I mean, you hear terms used like severe and critical worker shortage, you know, threatening potentially the future of producing food, of farming here in Washington state. Welcome back to the farming show here on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop. And as I I said previously, you know, we're starting a series to look at some of these things that we say really threaten to uh, shut out the put, turn out the barn lights, so to speak back to our, our, um, ad we had in the Seattle Times and the stuff we have on our website, safefamilyfarming.org about, hey, will the last farmer leaving Washington please turn out the barn lights? Because it's happening. You know, it's not just hyperbole. Farms are leaving here and more and more of them are. We are beginning this series to look at why that is happening and how can we turn this around for the future of our state and for the future of our food system. So the thing I had planned to start with was labor issues. I mean, we talk about that a lot here on the program, but again, we talk about specific points of, you know, politics and what happened in Olympia last week kind of thing. But let's step back and take a look at what is the big picture here? So it's actually going to take a few weeks here, as I think every week, at least uh, one one part of the show each week, we're going to look at a a different aspect of this. It's going to take a few weeks just to get through the labor element. We'll talk about environmental issues and market issues and other things like that. But this week, where I wanted to start with is the shortage of labor, just finding enough people to bring together, to have a team, to get the job done, to bring the harvest in, the food that people want to eat. And what's so interesting about it that we're talking about it this week is I just so happened to be on a panel uh, this week down at the University of Washington talking about farm worker issues. And one of the key things that one of, you know, we've talked about these, these locally based activist groups and the false narratives they've spun on labor in, in Washington. Well, one of those activists was on the panel with me, and one of it, the one of the you know the crux of his argument was they don't think there is a labor shortage. So I think this is a perfect time now to bring in Enrique Gastelum with Wafla, uh, and also someone who grew up in the farm worker community, spent a lot of time uh, in the past with Farm Bureau. Um, he's been around these issues for a long time. He knows what's going on to get the lowdown on what is this whole worker shortage thing? How is it that all the credible folks say, absolutely, there's a worker shortage and it's a big problem. And then, you know, I think at some point here in the conversation, we need to get to how in the world is it possible for someone to make the claim that there's not a worker shortage? Enrique, thanks for being with us here this morning. Um, You bet, Dylan. How long has this been going on? I mean, what's the full backstory here on not having enough workers to, you know, harvest food, bring in food, grow food here in Washington? Yeah, I I think, uh, thanks, Dylan, for having me on. You know, this is an issue. It's, It's not something that's just happened overnight it we are our community of you know ag employers particularly you know i would say the first ones to feel it are our you know short-term labor-intensive seasonal type jobs we've been feeling this uh, shortage of labor for decades and it is only getting worse each year um you know i would 
you know, beg to argue, you know, this, this likely started probably in the eighties and just every decade as we've gone farther and farther down uh, the timeline, it's just gotten worse and worse. Um, you know, if I were to look back at history, you know, um, Washington is um, probably most, you know, for GDP, the amount of ag we produce, we're one of the farthest nations from the so- uh, states from the southern border, right? Yeah. So yeah. we historically, when we had open borders, much more wider open borders, and some would argue yeah. they're still open right now, but you know, not so regulated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, We had a lot of workers, you know, crossing the border illegally, you know, they would migrate their way up through California, Arizona, up to Oregon, to Washington, out to Montana. I remember many families I knew would come into the area over the seasons, picking cherries, apples, working berries, and then they would head back for the wintertime. Right. And there was this cyclical thing going on, um, for several decades up until, you know, we start getting into the 90s. And I would say in the early 2000s with, you know, 9-11 happening mm. and the tightening border security there, I think that's where we're, it really started being noticed by people that, huh, we don't have this migratory workforce like we used to. And so year after year, uh, what's occurred is, you know, with that lessening of people crossing the border and coming up through all the states well we still had some workers that have been here and stayed in the united states where they would migrate well over time you know cost of living goes up um people get older you know the average age of our domestic you know u.s workers you know um legal or not that are here they've been aging right you know the average age they're in their 40s and 50s and, you know, it is it is labor work, it is physical work, and so there comes a point in time where they're no longer physically able to do it, so they will retire out or they will find other industries. Yep. And then their children, just like my father, you know, when he came from Mexico into the United States, he was a farm worker and remained a farm worker for 28 years. Yeah. Well, I was a farm worker at a young age, but went, got educated, lived the American dream, and I'm living it now. I'm no longer in the industry. So you had the next generations of kids like myself that came up who didn't fill, you know, backfill in for those positions. And so, you know, which was, which was the dream at that point. Right. And, and and still is for people. I mean, that's my story too. My dad, my farmer dad, well, he worked his butt off doing farming. I went and got a university degree, and now I'm, not, you know, not working in the fields every day, kind of thing. You know, I I miss it some days. Honestly, I'd rather get out of the office and go do it. But if I had to do it every single day, I'd say, yeah, I I'm glad I, you know, pursued that education and and got a, you know, a job that you know is year round and isn't, you know, it's a lot more cushy than than that hard work that I've been around and don't, you know, I'm thankful in some cases that I don't have to do it now. Um, but that, that's what people, have, we wanted for the future of, of people, right. but now what is, yeah, what's the result who, if the next generation doesn't want to keep doing that. And again, I don't blame them. I'm part of them in a, in a certain way. What happens? Yeah. Yeah. So our society, we we've shifted as a society too. just the people that are us born and here, right. People want year round employment. They're looking for jobs. You know, we, we've, I'll say, you know, we've sort of been shifting from a blue collar society to a white collar society, more professional office service industry type positions, you know? And so, 
Um, you know, that has also strained the short-term seasonal labor pool that we need to produce, you know, the food, fuel, and fiber on these short bursts of employment that we need during, you know, spring, summer, fall times. And so what employers have been doing, and, and, you know, this is further data backing up, we have a domestic labor supply shortage, is using the H-2A um, guest worker program mm-hmm. to supplement that lack of labor. And, you know, th- this program is meant to be a U.S. domestic worker protection program, meaning before you can even bring workers um, into the United States from these foreign countries to work on these H-2A contracts, you have to actively recruit and advertise the local workforce and all across your state that, hey, I'm ABC Farm out in Linden, Washington. I have a contract for I need 20 people to work from May until September. Here's the wages. Here's the housing. And that's all advertised through our state workforce agency. It's advertised in local newspapers in the area. It's advertised um, uh, federally on these various federal job posting websites. And U.S. domestic workers are just not coming out for those jobs. Or when they do evaluate those jobs, they don't want to do everything on them. And, you know, part of the part of the rationale is you have to be um, willing and able um, and ready to come do the whole contract. You don't come do part of it. And so um, we've had less and less, if any, U.S. workers applying for these jobs as they've been posted. And, you know, here nationally, you know, back in 2012, we issued 65,000 H-2A visas across the U.S. In 2021, that number climbed to 258,000, okay? Mm-hmm. Here in Washington State, um, back in 2011, we were just north of 5,000 H-2A workers in our state. Here in 2022, we brought 33,000. Wow. And so that's telling you, and for those 33,000 open positions, our state workforce agency referred 11 workers, right? And so, yeah, we 11, had some- 11 out. workers they were able to find. And this is via all of this advertising for all these open positions to make sure by law, per H-2A law and how the contracts work to make sure that- there's not someone locally who's being displaced who wants that job and doesn't get a crack at it before a guest worker would. Correct. Correct. And, you know, and some other dynamics I see, you know, and so that backs up that we have a shortage, you know, and I I talked about sort of the aging out of our population, you know, another thing, Washington's not unique to this, but it's happening around the nation is more and more people are leaving rural areas and moving to urban centers, right? Mm-hmm. They are heading off to university or heading off to these other, you know, professional style jobs. I, I was talking about these white collar positions yeah. versus staying in a rural area or staying close to where the farming community is. And so you're also seeing a vacuum of, you know, there's nobody going out to live in these rural areas that are going to do the work to replace. Now, some in the rural areas would beg to differ that, hey, wait a minute, we're in Wenatchee, we got all these people from Seattle moving out here. Well, they're coming to retire. They're coming to do recreation. They're not coming out to do, you know, labor-intensive seasonal jobs. Look at how many people are moving to Ellensburg to commute to Seattle. I mean, (laughs) which to me is insane, but it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, so we, we've seen a shift um, across the U.S. and in Washington of 
less and less interest of people wanting to do labor-intensive seasonal work and less and less interest just in farming in general, right? Even our own farmers, as sad as it may be, that some of the next generations aren't wanting to come up yep. and own the farms. And so they're trying to find people. And so, again, on the labor shortage, it's here. It's real. It's only getting worse every year. I mean, just looking at our Washington H-2A numbers, we've added anywhere from two to 4,000 additional jobs each year. And and I'm of the opinion, I think the only thing holding back even more H-2A workers coming right now is um, places to house and, and and have beds for these workers. I mean, I would, I would based on the growers we talk to daily and year round, I would think if we could add another two to three, 4,000 beds, those would be filled up immediately around wow. our state. Enrique you know. Gastelum with Wafla is on the program with us right now talking about Washington State's farm worker shortage, farm labor shortage, and this being an issue that really is about the future and, and threatens the future of farming and food production in Washington State. Will there be enough people to get the work done? Now, you've talked a bit about H2, the H-2A program. I want to do a, another whole segment with you as we continue to work our way through this series of explaining uh, the background detail of the major issues that threaten the future of farming in Washington state. I, I think that deserves a whole conversation because it's been controversial. A lot of people need to understand how it works, why people are using it, the pros and cons. It's been attacked by activists a lot. I want to answer a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of false understanding about that program out there. And that's something that you folks focus on there at Wafla is managing those, you know, helping folks manage, Manage those contracts, doing the right thing, following all the laws, um, doing everything appropriately. But I think, you know, our conversation, again, that we'll have in the future, uh, maybe next week or the week after, I have to schedule that out. But um, that all is a result of this worker shortage thing, as you're saying. But I will say these activists who say that the, the H-2A program is bad, it's exploitative, um, we shouldn't be using it. They want to see it go away. Um, and they say it's an excuse. And this is where it comes back to the worker shortage. They say it's an excuse for farmers to hire cheap foreign labor rather than hire people in their own communities that it is it, it's an excuse it's a and and the the argument again back to where we started is they're saying there's not actually a labor shortage um what's what's your response to that enrique well i would say you know covid did uh, gave us one blessing as a farming community it shed the light on this labor shortage issue across many many more industries than just farming yeah you know, right now as Wafla, we also support a handful of other seasonal type employers that are not ag to access what's called the H2B program. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we've gotten inundated with calls over the last year and a half or two years, people that can't find workers for construction, for landscaping, for hotels, mm. for restaurants. And, you know, nationally, we've got, you know, in February here, U.S. Chamber of Commerce says they advertised uh employers advertised for 10.8 million jobs but yet we have 5.9 million people in the u.s on unemployment mm -hmm. so even if we gave a job to all six nine six million of those unemployed people right now we would still be short almost five million people to do the work needed across our whole u.s 
And so this is what ag has been experiencing for many, many decades as yep. we've been asked to produce more food, produce more fruit, yep. produce more vegetables to continue feeding our local communities and the world, right? right. Um, we need bodies to harvest these products, to plant these products and whatnot. And so um, we're, we're, we, we are feeling it. It is here. It is real. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, farmers are paying good wages. That was know. another thing I was going to bring up. Yeah. And maybe it's just cause there's, you know, farm work is hard and it may involve things that aren't as comfortable as sitting at a desk. Um, but, and maybe it's part of that and part of, well, you just don't pay enough. You need to pay more you farmers. Yeah. So, well, that's all know, the problem. For, uh, I don't think so because again, just because we're going to pay more, who's going to move out to Mattawa, Washington for three months or one month? You know, that's the unique thing about farming is it's the labor, the heavy labor intensive need is many times during these short, high burst, high, you know, need hours over a month or two months. And then the work goes away. Yeah. Right. And so our U.S. population is wanting year-round steady employment, regardless of what the wages are. You know, even even the Alaska seafood industry is struggling. You know, I remember when I was in high school, I'd have friends that couldn't wait to turn 18 because then they're like, hey, I'm going to go work on a fishing boat over the summer and head to Alaska in between college. Yeah, those people could you make know, bank doing that too. Right, and they, <laughs> people don't even want to do that type of stuff anymore. Yep. Um, and so we, we, and again, I'm bringing all up these different industries because farming's not alone in this. Yeah. And those are paying maybe some even higher wages and they still can't get yeah. people to go. Well, and I right? think everyone's seen that. And like you said, COVID showed that to so many more people than just the farming community. The farming community had already been grappling with that problem for a long time, but then everyone experienced that almost across our economy during COVID. And I think after that experience and now still with as many help wanted signs as I see in all kinds of businesses all over, I think it's pretty mm -hmm. darn hard to credibly say there is no worker shortage. Well, in and we've got a, we have a lot of benefits that support people that are not working yeah, as a true. state. And so when you make things comfortable yep. and easier, which, okay, hey, no fault of theirs for taking advantage of what our state legislature puts out there, but yep. we're a pretty benefit-friendly state for somebody that is not employed. Yeah. Well, and so if you can, get, yeah, if you can have your groceries paid for and you can have money to put, you know, stuff in, in your gas tank and, you know, extension upon extension upon extension of unemployment um, benefits, why would you be motivated to go back to actually producing, you know, a product to, to earn your own paycheck? Yeah. You know, that's a, and that's another thing we've, we're, you know, we're feeling it in farming and other industries are as well. Enrique Gastelum, CEO of Wafla. Thank you for being here this morning and giving us kind of the, the background piece here on the labor shortage. Again, we should talk to you again in a week or two about the H2A program and what the truth is there on that, because it's kind of a double-edged sword in some 
ways it's very expensive. Uh, it's very, you know, it can be challenging, especially for a smaller operation to figure out how to manage it. Um, but at the same time, it's a lifeline that is keeping a lot more farming here in Washington State, despite some of the lies that are being told about that program by activists who want to see it go away. So we will be talking about that coming up as we continue this series, focusing on the various issues threatening to turn out the barn lights for farming here in Washington State. Enrique, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you, Dylan.